There's a lot of things in this old world That just do not make sense Like why there's so few believers on the firing line While so many others sit the fence But if you want to know where the word of God stands And believe it wants to use your feet and hands It's time to take your faith out of the seats And into the streets And come along with me If you'll only look Then you will see On WCN-TV Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to today's WCN-TV program. This is Tuesday, September 20th, 2022. I'm Rob Pugh, your host, and if you'll indulge me for a few minutes, I just want to do a little shameless promotion. Uh, so before we get started, I want to remind you um, of our TV website. It's wcntv.net, if we can put that up on the screen there, uh, Spencer. Um so we are live every Tuesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Central, and you can watch live and also be part of the show if you go to WCNTV.net. You can also watch the show on Rumble.com. Just go there and search for WCNTV. And on both of those platforms, you can watch live as well as view all of our previous shows. And then if, um, Spencer, if you have the uh, uh, podcast, uh, there you go. So... You can also listen to the program on your favorite podcast app, including the Apple Podcasts, um, TuneIn, Spotify, just to name a few. And I know that we're on other uh, podcast apps as well, uh, including VCY America. I know we have a lot of people that are familiar with that. If you have the VCY America Radio Network app, you can find these programs as well as my weekly radio commentaries. Just look for the On Demand button and then look for my name. Um, just a little bit more business to take care of before we get into things today. If we can go to the Wisconsin Christian News website, there you go. It's wisconsinchristiannews.com is where you'll find all of our website stuff. And we have literally thousands of great articles and resources there, more than 20 years worth. So, okay, if you stop right there, um, on the right-hand side, you'll see a picture of our front page, and you can click to read our current edition. Um, so when you become an online subscriber, you get access to view all of our content, including the current issue, uh, which you can read in a number of ways, including viewing it in newspaper format. If we can take a look at that, when you click on that, log in, that takes you to this, and then you can page through. There you go. So just kind of keep paging through. You'll see what our newspaper actually looks like there. Um, I still like the printed newspaper better, but I know some people do like the online version, so there you go. You can actually enlarge that, Spencer, if you want to play with one of those pages. You can enlarge it. You can print. You can share it. Um, each one of these things um, and flip through some more pages. There's Doug Hagman's article. Um, so there's a lot there. There's 48 pages. Uh, something interesting, you know, this must be a very powerful issue because we had a lot of technical issues as I was preparing this one. Um, but I did make the deadline, got it off to the press on time. And then um, uh, the enemy started throwing wrenches in the works at the printing press. So... Um, as it turned out, they printed all of our newspapers, thousands and thousands of copies of newspapers. 
with the page numbers all incorrect. So you'd go from page one to page 47 to page 18 to page 32. So they had to start from scratch. They had to throw away all those papers and start over. So coming out a little bit late in print this time. But anyway, that's that's what it looks like. So anyway, today we have another great guest lined up for you. And again, if you're on WCNTV.net, click on that red button and uh, you can, it says, join the studio audience. Do it now and then you can ask questions, make comments and be part of the show with us. Our guest today is Dr. George Barna. George Barna is a professor at Arizona Christian University and leads the Cultural Research Center there. He was the founder and leader of the Barna Group, which he sold in 2009. He's written more than 50 best-selling books, mostly addressing cultural and religious trends, leadership, spiritual development, church dynamics, and cultural transformation. And his work is frequently cited as an authoritative source by the mainstream media and others. And today we're going to be talking about a couple of recent studies that he released, one on the worldview of pastors and different denominations, as well as another recent study which reveals the values that unite Americans, something you don't hear a lot about these days. So, Dr. Barna, welcome back to WCN-TV. You were, okay. you, were, you, were, you were here in late May. I think it was the last Tuesday in May. People loved it and were honored to have you back with us today. Well, thanks, Rob. It's great to be back. I appreciate you inviting me again. So, I, I think you're as, as busy and as worn out as I am, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I just got back from uh, two weeks of travel around midnight last night. So, mm-hmm. I think this is my fourth or fifth interview today, and I'm... I'm fatigued and disoriented so don't hold anything i say against me well this is what you get when you get a publicist right (laughs) at least he's doing his job and keeping you busy that's right yeah we keep going so your study i'm talking about the worldview one now it it revealed that only 37 percent of christian pastors have a biblical worldview is that correct yeah, it is correct. And, you know, that's a representative sample of Christian pastors from churches all across the country, all different denominations, Protestant and Catholic. And looking at that, we found that it does differ according to the position, the kind of pastoral position one might hold, because, of course, there are senior or lead pastors, there are associate pastors, teaching pastors, children's and youth pastors, executive pastors. and in the reports, we talk about the distinctions between all those, the levels of biblical worldview, but averaging it out across all pastors in the country, really only a little more than one out of every three Christian pastors has a biblical worldview. Amazing. Um, you had you had several points, several excellent points in that study, but I want to just read three of them here for you quickly, and you can comment on on things after. Um, one of the points was 39% of evangelical pastors surveyed contend that there is no absolute moral truth and that each individual must determine their own truth. Also, only 38% believe that human life is sacred. 37% say that having faith matters more than which faith you have. And I guess I have four points. And 30% of evangelical pastors do not believe their salvation is based on having confess their sins, and accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior. Those were some crazy numbers. Is this what they're teaching in seminaries, or what's what's happening here? Yeah, that, that's certainly part of it. You know, another part of it is that when you look at how churches determine whether or not they're effective or successful in ministry, we discovered that most pastors identify five different things that they measure on a consistent basis to determine whether or not they're effective. Unfortunately, those things are how many people show up, how many programs are offered, how many staff people they've hired, how much money they raise, how much square footage they've built out. And understand I'm a measurement guy, so I'm glad that we're, you're me- they're measuring things. But, you know, the old axiom says you get what you measure, and I think that's what's happening in our Christian churches today. We're measuring things that Jesus didn't die for. Mm -hmm. And so we're not really evaluating the things that would be constituted as success 
in the eyes of Christ. That's what we ought to be measuring, which would be, you know, the number of true disciples that are out there, the fruit that's emanating from their lives, the biblical fruit, those types of things. So, yeah, we we have issues. Certainly seminaries, uh, have many of them have gotten off track teaching that you can't really trust the Bible. The Bible is not the trustworthy, reliable, relevant word of God. And therefore, you come to conclusions like there is no such thing as absolute moral truth. It's your truth. It's my truth. We are the only ones who can determine truth for our lives. Well, certainly that's not what the Christian faith is all about. That's not what Jesus died for. So we can see that that, that's going astray as well. We live in a time when the culture is affecting the church more than the church is affecting the culture. And so we're in one of those periods of history where we may talk about the need for transforming our culture in order to honor Christ and advance his kingdom. But the truth of the matter is, before we can hope to do that, Rob, we're going to have to see some pretty significant renewal within the church. And when we get our own house in order, then maybe we can start worrying about the rest of the culture. So let's kind of break down this this chart that you have that uh, was part of your report. You actually went through, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different um, denominations. Um, first off was non-denominational and then evangelical, uh, mainline, Catholic, Pentecostal, charismatic, um, black churches, and holiness churches. Um Maybe we should start by defining what these things are, what these different denominations are. Um, uh, as far as um, non-denominational, I guess that kind of speaks for itself, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. It was non-denominational and independent Christian churches. So it's those two groups together. That's one of the faster-growing denominational families of churches in America today where many of the newly planted churches are planted by pastors who are not aligned or affiliated with any denomination. They have no ties whatsoever, which, of course, has both pros and cons, depending on how you want to look at it. But one of those is that, of course, they do not have specific doctrinal stands that they have to uh, agree that they believe and that they're going to teach but it also means that they have no kind of authority structure to which they answer other than that which they create within their church. But yet they scored the highest as far as having a biblical worldview. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It may not be all bad. I mean, maybe that's a better way of doing it. You know, the other way of looking at it is that uh, many of the denominational churches have different creeds and different statements of faith that their denominations uh, have them agree to. And while they've agreed to it, that's not what they're teaching people in their churches to believe. So there's that other kind of issue, too, that, that we've got to wrestle with. And obviously, there's not much accountability that's taking place in those particular denominations, even though they have those kinds of leadership or authority structures in place. So there's all kinds of chaos happening all over our culture, and it's perhaps just as evident within the Christian churches in America as it is in all the other institutions of our nation. Okay, so I'm going to just kind of run through these now so people have an understanding as we go through the the chart. But mainline Protestant, you have American Baptist, Episcopal, Uh, ELCA Lutherans, uh, Presbyterian Church USA, United Church of Christ, United Methodist Church. Under Evangelical, you were uh, listing Bible Baptist Fellowship, Free Will Baptist, Southern Baptist Convention, Disciples of Christ, the E-Free Church, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, Presbyterian Church in America. Uh, Traditionally black churches are African Methodist Episcopal, AME, uh, AME Zion, National Baptist Convention of America, National Baptist Convention USA, National uh, Primitive Baptist, and Church of God in Christ. Under uh, Charismatic uh, Charismatic Pentecostal, we have Assembly of God, Church of God, uh, Cleveland, Foursquare, International Pentecostal Holiness, 
United Pentecostal, and under Holiness, uh, Christian and Missionary Alliance, Church of God, uh, Church of the Nazarene, Salvation Army, and Seventh-day Adventist. So that kind of gives you an overview of what we're talking about and the different denominational structures that we have here. So, but I guess, George, if you'd kind of go through the, the chart here and, and tell us about your findings. Human life is sacred, non-denominational uh, pastors, and we're talking about pastors here, non-denominational pastors, 90% believe that human life is sacred. Only 35% of holiness pastors believe that. And believe it or not, only 34% of Catholics believe human life is sacred. You know, some of this is really interesting. The the data on the Catholic priests across the country, I think, is likely to shock a lot of Protestants, maybe some Catholics as well, based on the kind of journalistic reporting that we get about what these different denominational families allegedly believe. And certainly one of the things that I see is that there are significant differences between what the pastors of different kind of denominational churches believe and what the people who regularly attend those churches believe. That which in turn, of course, raises all kinds of questions about, well, is their teaching making any difference? Is it having much of an influence, much of an impact, if the people who go there regularly aren't even believing what the pastors and priests are teaching? So it's it's a really kind of fascinating study, in my mind, showing the confused nature of what's going on in Christianity in America today. Yeah, yeah. So, and um, just uh, just looking at the list here, can you define what what do you mean when you put in the category holiness? What what makes one of these churches fall under that category of holiness? Well, those were the churches that whose names you read off before. You know, Free Methodist, Salvation Army, Church of God, uh, Cleveland, I believe it was, you know, some of those kinds of churches. Uh, and and they're theologically, they're Wesleyan in orientation as opposed to Reformed in their theological orientation. And so there's a much greater emphasis upon grace uh, that, that you would find being taught in those types of churches. And again, as we're seeing from the theological beliefs of both the pastors and the people who attend those churches, uh, that cuts both ways. Sometimes that's a great thing where they really understand the grace of God, but that it is given within the boundaries of his laws, his uh, you know principles for how we're supposed to live. But oftentimes we also see that people in those particular churches, as well as many other churches, but those in particular we're focusing on now, uh, believe that it's it's more of a free-for-all, that God will give us grace for anything we choose to do, which, of course, is not what those churches believe, theologically speaking, doctrinally speaking, but that's how it gets interpreted sometimes. Yeah, and more often than not, I'm afraid. Um, yeah. yeah. So... Um, but just looking at your chart here, um, let's look at number three. When you die, you'll go to heaven only because you have con- uh, confessed your sins and have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Um, 71% non-denominational, um, and then it drops down to 44% of Catholics believe that, um, 49% of holiness churches, so less than half. Um and, you know, Rob, there, there's an interesting correlate to that one, too, if you go down toward the bottom of what I believe is on the screen, where it says a person who is generally good or does enough good things for others will earn a place in heaven. Uh, there, you find, for instance, that uh, more than three out of every four Catholic priests believe that to be true. You look at the uh, traditionally black Protestant pastors, uh, uh, two out of three of them believe that to be true. You look at the holiness pastors, a majority of them, 55%. So if they're not believing that Jesus is the only way, what we do find is that often they will teach, well, it has to do with how you live. If you live a good enough life, God will you know, allow you to be in his presence eternally, 
because you're a good person. You know, so that's one of those those key theological splits that we see happening here between some of the different groups of churches. But it helps to explain what's going on here. We also found that a number of these pastors will teach both of those alternatives to their people. You've got a choice. You can either choose Jesus as your Savior, or you can work really hard and be enough person, uh, a good enough person, and persuade God that you should be in heaven with Him because you're such a good person. So again, the slicing and the dicing of biblical truth, human theology, putting it all together into a bizarre mix that you find different in virtually every church that you attend. Whatever happened to just going and reading the Bible? <laughs> <laughs> it's right there. It's it's, it's yeah. not difficult. I'm sorry, you're um, making that too simple. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's not difficult. Um, having faith matters more than which faith you have. I mean, um, there's you know, there are there there are so many people out there that believe that you know. Uh, Life is a circle with uh, spokes of a wheel, and they all lead to God. And, you know, Scripture clearly tells us there is one way to, to God, and it's, it's through Jesus Christ. Well, you know, and, and that kind of relates to this idea of, of the fact that most Americans believe that people are basically good. And, in fact, the study showed that most pastors teach that. And yet at the same time, part of the heart of our faith, the foundation of Christianity, is understanding that, no, essentially we are not good. We're sinners. That's why Jesus had to die on the cross, because we need to be saved from the consequences of our sin. Most Americans don't want to believe that. Most pastors don't want to teach that. Because remember what I said before is that, you know, we measure how many people come, how much money we raise, how much square footage we can build out, all of these kinds of things, which really depends on the popularity of the church. Now, if you start teaching that, you know, ultimately or essentially, you are not a good person, you are a sinner, you need a savior, you need to live your life according to God's principles. The Bible is true. These are the things that really matter. And the more that you align yourself with God's ways, the better your life will be, as opposed to you can determine your own destiny because you're a good person. And like Walt Disney taught us, if you just dream it, you can make it happen. You know, so I mean, we've got all these competing philosophies that are out there that churches are contributing to, it's a real unfortunate circumstance. Well, what you just described there was uh, what you call the gospel. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, you know, we we have arrived at a very bad place when we cannot count on pastors to preach the gospel. Well, and I'll tell you, Rob, one of the interesting things since this report came out I've had a lot of, uh, I don't know, maybe you would call it hate mail from church leaders, uh, either denigrating me or the research saying, well, the things that you're researching aren't accurate. You know, you're, you're, you're going into finer points of theology. It's like, not really. I mean, this is what you would expect a fourth grader to be learning in Bible school, mm-hmm. in Sunday school. Sunday school, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're not going into Theology 404. We're not given seminary-level trick questions here. We're asking about basic gospel realities. And it's shocking to me how many pastors are offended that not only would we ask about these things, but that we would expect that pastors would know what the Bible teaches and would have committed their life to teaching those things to the people who are showing up at their church. This is not a popularity contest. That's not why we're here. That's not how we please and honor God and advance his kingdom. We do that by being true to his word, which he gave to us for our benefit so that we can thrive on earth. But we only thrive according to his principles, not the things that make us more comfortable, the things that seem more convenient or so forth. So it's been an interesting couple of weeks since this has come out, seeing how literally hundreds and hundreds of pastors have responded to me 
with anger and derision and, you know, just putting down the whole process of, you know, your, your study is not credible because it doesn't treat my point of view as the gospel truth. Well, and I suppose we can't paint everyone with the same brush. I mean, there are going to be exceptions in each one of these denominations, but um, I think overall, um, even from my own experience, I think I can agree with what you've come up with here on these on these numbers. Are I think they're pretty accurate. So, um, I want to give an opportunity for our studio audience to make some comments if or ask questions of uh, Dr. Barna. If you like, we're talking with George Barna. Um, we have Betty in Ohio. We have Brother Jeffrey in Kenya. We have uh, Russ in um, Oklahoma. Uh, Deanne and Rich. Um, another person I cannot pronounce your name. <laughs> we have uh, Jr. in Ohio. Uh, Lawrence and uh, uh, Pastor Terry Fisher. Welcome, welcome. Anyone have any questions? Any comments? Pretty quiet group out there. So, okay. Maybe, so, they're, like, maybe they're like I was. They're, they're stunned by some of these findings. Well, I, yeah. I was a little bit stunned too. Um, yeah. Never, never asked me for my opinion. Never yeah. asked me for my opinion. <laughs> I want to know what you think, Jr. Well, I, you know, the thing that I think that we, uh, first of all, denominations is an interesting term. They kind of self divide. I, I joke a lot about if you, if somebody comes up to you and says, I'll give you a million dollars if you can find me two complete strangers that'll argue. And I'll say that's easy. I, I just go out and look for two Christians. The rest <laughs> will take care of itself. And and sadly, you know, what your surveys kind of reflect that. And the one thing that, that I really pay particular attention, attention to, Mr. Barney, is natural law. Because natural law, spiritual and physical, is basically recorded in the Bible, mm-hmm. and we're without excuse. Uh, George uh, Jr. is the uh, the the leader of the Natural Family Foundation. So, great. Um, yeah, I invited him to join us today specifically because I knew he'd enjoy this. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, we and we could talk about we could talk about the family in America is broken. Until mm-hmm. we fix the family, nothing else is going to work. We can complain all we want about the churches. But if you have broken families in the churches, I don't. I don't see how much hope you have. Yeah, let's uh, let's scroll down and look at at some more uh, of that chart there, uh, Spencer, if we can. Could could I before you take the whole thing off? There's one more in sure. there. Um, one of the other people I was talking with earlier today said, "Well, was there anything on here that really surprised or?" or disappointed you more than anything else. And right in the middle of the screen there, there's one that says reincarnation is a real possibility. Mm -hmm. When you look at the fact that you've got a third of evangelical pastors claiming that reincarnation is a, a, a real possibility for their life, you've got half of Catholic priests, you've got four more than four out of 10 Pentecostal and charismatic pastors. You got seven out of 10 traditionally black church pastors, and you have half of all holiness pastors saying reincarnation is a real possibility after they die. It really raises the question about, so who do you believe Jesus really is? What do you think was really happening with his life, his death, his resurrection. And I mean, those numbers to me are are maybe because I live with so many of these other numbers throughout the, the years, that one really kind of struck me as, oh my goodness, look at that. There is nothing on here that is so clearly part of the Eastern mystical faith system as that concept of reincarnation. And here you have I would say massive numbers of Christian pastors agreeing that, yeah, reincarnation is something that people ought to understand, they ought to prepare for, they ought to believe. And that just shocks the daylights out of me. Yeah, it's amazing you have any that responded in that way. So yeah. uh, much less, you know, 50% and 70%. And so. Uh, scroll down a little bit more. I want to see what's on that chart, 
I haven't had a chance to study it as closely as I'd like. Um, uh, the the yeah. second one from the bottom, I think, is also a critically important one because so much, so many of the problems that we see in those other issues, I think, come from this problem, which is that de- determining moral truth is up to each individual. There are no moral absolutes that apply to everyone all the time. Now, either you believe that the Bible is God's word, it's true, it's accurate, it's relevant, it's trustworthy, or you don't. And what you see here is the percentage of pastors in these different denominational families who don't. And once again, some of these numbers are mind-boggling. You've got essentially four out of ten pastors currently serving at evangelical churches who say there is no such thing as absolute moral truth. Truth is up to each individual. You know, it's your truth or my truth. You've got, uh, you know, eight out of 10 Catholic priests professing that. You've got a majority of Pentecostal and charismatic preachers, three out of four uh, pastors from traditionally black churches, two out of three from holiness churches, saying there's no absolute moral truth. Well, no wonder we're believing this bizarre mixture of ideas, and no wonder the prevailing worldview in America today is syncretism. Because when you take absolute moral truth out of the mix and say, well, it's not really all from the Bible, it's from whatever you think it should come from, it's whatever seems right to you, and yes, there is a scripture about that, you know, well, this is what you get, is this, you know, unusual mixture of ideas where people are just picking and choosing whatever is familiar, is comfortable, is, uh, you know, something that they personally favor or desire for their life, as opposed to how is God ordained that I should live my life? Yeah, yeah. Um, Just a couple other things I want to mention that were um, uh, not on the chart that we showed, but they are in the study. Uh, You found that sexual relations, uh, pastors believe that sexual relations between two unmarried people who believe they love each other is morally acceptable. Um, as far as the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not a living ent- entity, but is a symbol a symbol of God's power, presence, or purity. The Holy Spirit is a living entity, folks. It's not just a symbol. Having faith matters more than which faith you have. That was on the list, I guess. Uh, a person who's generally good does not. Yeah, we, we got that. Um and the Bible is ambiguous in its teaching about abortion. I, I think we can cross that off the list of, of things too, but those are all in your in your study. Um, and where can people find your your the, the full study on George? All the research that we do, we put up for free online at culturalresearchcenter.com. So www.culturalresearchcenter.com as this report and all the other ones that we put out previously about our research with pastors, with parents, and with the public at large. Okay, good. So let's uh, move on to your your other study, and this one came in uh, after the the one about the denominations and the pastors. Uh, Values that unite Americans. What can you tell us about this one? Well, this is kind of an interesting study. This is one where we did... uh, did this with the general public. We were looking at uh, 48 different values and asking people how they would react to these values. You know, are they the kind of values that they'd be willing to fight for in order to preserve and protect? They'd be willing to die to protect them. Uh, They'd be willing to sacrifice personal pressures, personal resources uh, to retain those values They'd simply be willing to argue with somebody in support of the values. They don't feel strongly about the values at all, or they're not willing to defend those values. And when we looked at this, there were some really fascinating things, I think, that came out of the study, Rob. One of those is that by far the value that people are most willing to fight for or die for to preserve is their family. Uh, you know, more than anything else that they experience in their life, it's their family that's meaningful to them. Now, that doesn't mean that there were, uh, weren't other values that are important. There are, and we'll get to that in a moment. 
But when you look at fighting for it, dying for it, sacrificing for it, eight out of 10 Americans said, yeah, I'm willing to do that in order to take care of my family. And I, to me and, and to the group that I'm working with, there's a group called America's One that commissioned this study. They wanted to understand how do Americans see the world? How do they see their life? How can we move forward as a nation? This may be one of the things that helps to unite our nation and helps us to overcome not only the disunity that we have, but also the lack of trust and confidence that we have in our leaders across the country, particularly our political leaders, where we think that, you know what, all they want to do is divide us. They're in it for themselves. They're corrupt. We never know which direction they're going to take, uh, you know, and, and on and on. There, there's an abundance of survey research supporting those uh, statements. But what this um, is showing us me, is let, maybe let there's wins. Let me interrupt just a second. I have to restart my computer because I have terrible audio problems here. So I'm going to ask JR, would you uh, sit in for me for about uh, two minutes while I reboot this thing? I'm there sorry, is a God. There I is a God. Help, but I can't hear what's being said. I just want I to take the rest, the rest of the program over. Speak amongst yourselves. I'm, I'm okay with right that. <laughs> George, thank you very much. I, I mean, I really appreciate your work. And this this thing with the family, it, I mean, it sticks out like a sore thumb. It sure does. That's yeah. what I said earlier. In essence, as goes the family, so goes the church. As goes the church, so goes the nation. And I'm, I've been pounding this message out for eight years. And I, one of the things we're trying to do is get people to appreciate the critical importance of the family. And we define it, George. We define mm-hmm. it as one and we got to say this now, biologically born man, one biologically born woman, you know what I mean? And a lifelong committed monogamous relationship. But, yeah. you know, you have half of the families are divorced. Right. So you have a real problem there. But it's the Bible says where there's no vision, the people perish. Yep. I think that we need to push for a, a vision of the natural family. You don't look, I've been divorced. Uh, I've been married now for 44 years since then, but I, I'm still divorced. So I'm I'm not in that perfect family, right? But that doesn't mean I can't understand and appreciate it. And this, I mean, the first thing I saw on that survey, I saw that 61% of going, yeah, that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense until you listen to our politicians. And, and then what you hear is a very different kind of message, one that's consistently trying to divide us the thing that I I really was thrilled about with this particular survey, you know, when I do a survey, I go into it trying to figure out what's the truth. What do people believe? What do they feel? What are they experiencing? Uh-huh. What do they desire? Whatever it is we're looking at. And the thing that emerged out of this for me is, oh, my gosh, there is hope of bringing us together. We're being falsely divided that what we've got here is a filter that Americans are taking for their lives. And when they're making decisions, they're trying to figure out, if I do this, how's it going to affect my family? Alternatively, if I do that, how's it going to affect my family? Yep. Now, if we could begin to elect individuals who had that same filter where they're concerned about and they love the family and they're going to commit themselves to protecting it because that's God's central institution for humankind. And that's what you build your nation around. That's what you build your nation through. If we had leaders in in government and politics, in business, in education, in churches, you know, all the different dimensions of our culture who understood, yeah, you know what, that's the lens that we need to see things through. How is this action that I'm proposing going to affect the family? We would be a much stronger, much more united, much happier nation. We had uh, Ronald Reagan did an executive order, which did exactly what you're yep. talking about. Yeah. If it's going to have a negative impact on the family, don't do it. Right. Okay, it, was, it wasn't a law for the nation, although, boy, would that be nice if there was. <laughs> but it wasn't a law for the nation, but it was for the people that were in his, under his purview that right. whenever you do something, take a look and see, first of all, how it's going to affect the family. Critical. Mm-hmm. How it's going to affect the family. If it has a negative impact on it, then, then redo it. And, and you're, you're absolutely right. But the problem is that we've been so brainwashed, and a lot of that has to do with the news media. A lot mm-hmm. of that has to do with our government-run schools. 
uh, and it's really difficult to fight that. Uh, we're, we're trying to uh, initiate a program, and we don't have it all put together yet, but we're trying to make from Mother's Day to Father's Day of every year, that's a five-week time period, we're trying to make that a, a, a natural family celebration. And it's an, it's an pro-movement. Christians are always against something, right, George? We're right. Always, yep. We don't like this, we don't like that. Yep. This is for the natural family, and it puts our our adversaries in a very unique position because now they have to be the complainers. Right. And you could start off with, you know, Mother's Day, and then you could have Grandparents Week, or Mother's Week, Grandparents Week. You could have Children's Week. You could have Extended Family Week, and then you end up with Father's Father's Day Week. Yep. And uh, if if we just start just having that conversation, I don't think uh, I don't think it'll ever happen. Uh, I'm going to push like it will. I don't think it'll ever happen, but man, would it change the conversations we're having today? I mean, Congress is, what is it, 8404, whatever that bill, health, health bill is, mm-hmm. that they're talking about making marriage anything but natural. Well, what, how, do we, how do we oppose that? What are we opposing it with? Well, how about a positive movement? Wait a minute. What about the natural family? Yeah. What about it? Yeah. And, and their argument has to be against nature. Yeah. I'm sorry, this is, this is supposed Rob, to be an interview, and you get so excited. I, I, no, I, I, I'm with you. You know, but I would also add that, that part of the way that we get around having those kinds of laws proposed is if we start looking for a different kind of leader. What we've been doing up to this point, and I've been in political races. I started, actually, all of this as a political campaign manager. Went on and did political polling for a number of, of uh, candidates, and over the years, I've continued to do that. I've worked in four presidential candidates as a pollster. But, uh, you know, one of the things that we tend to do is we vote for candidates based on what they say about the issues. What if instead we started looking at, but what are their core values? Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's what represents who that person is. They'll yeah. say whatever you want to hear to get elected. But if we could determine what are the values that they're willing to die for, they're willing to fight for, they're willing to sacrifice for, just like we have those values, and then we put those people into office, the beauty of that is that then we know what we're getting because they have the same things that matter to them as matter to us. It's not so much about how they're going to benefit, their self-aggrandizement, their retirement funds. You know, I mean, you look at a lot of these politicians with $12 million homes after they were earning $200,000 a year. How did that happen? So, you know, there's a lot of nonsense that's going on because they don't have the same values we have. So if instead we understood what these values are, you know, as you look at the chart that, that comes out of this research, the kinds of things that people are looking for in terms of integrity and kindness and character and trustworthiness, individual growth, having a sense of purpose and meaning in life, working hard, stability, justice, happiness. These are the kinds of things that Americans want their democracy, their republic to provide for them. And they're willing to fight for it. But they need people in those positions of power who will do the same thing. But we don't look at that when it comes to election time. We throw this out and we say, oh, what's their stand on abortion? What's their stand on crime, on immigration, whatever? Not that that's unimportant. It is important. But often what we find afterwards is that the stands that they're taking represent different values than the values of the people who elected them. Yep. We're trying to get Rob, uh, one of our listeners, Rob Pugh, back in here. There we go. There we go. (laughs) Rob, thank you very much, brother. Thank you for the note, uh, Spencer. I never would have got that. And thank you, JR, for sitting in for me while my computer crashed. Uh, appreciate it. We've got a few people in the audience here. I, we want to go to, uh, we're going to go Harry, Pe- uh, Betty, and then Nancy. So, Harry, you're on deck. Harry, are you there? He's you, muted. You probably have to unmute yourself too now. Okay, Betty, we'll come back to Harry. Hey there. Um I'm sorry I came in a little bit late. I was on the phone, (laughs) stupid phone. But anyway, um, at that one chart that you had where it says that uh, most people think they'll earn their way to heaven, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, 
Spencer will find it there. You know, it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works. So, but I also believe that once you're born again, which is in John 3, then you will do deeds, you know, and you will earn your crown in in heaven, you know, because once you're born again and you have that faith, you want to do that. And see, I'm tired of lukewarm churches. So I'm with Rob and Coach Dave and a few other people because they're action, you know, and we need to get out there and do action, JR, you know. So um, that one verse that is it, um, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my by my deeds, you know. And I, I, I tell you what, I cannot believe the percentage of that who is generally who is generally good or does good enough things for others will earn a place in heaven. That is so false in my well, And Betty, yeah. let me also point out that again, this is research among the pastors oh. of Christian churches. Those numbers, if I were to show you the numbers among people uh, across America, just the general public, the numbers are much higher than even what you see there. It's so, unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, the the deception is everywhere. Yeah. Okay. Thank well, yep. Well, well, well said. Harry, are you there? I'm here now. Okay. Sorry about that. I'm looking. I got to use my phone for audio and the in the computer for for video, and I right. hit the wrong button. Whatever works. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah this works. Oh. You know, we, we have a woman that we know that we thought was a real staunch Christian. And even the, the, the Christians who say a good game, supposedly lead a good game, the last time we saw her, she denied the deity of Christ. Oh, she started following somebody on the internet. And, you know, the, the, I don't know if you follow, you know, did any of your research on these these uh, internet pastors or not, but boy, there's some real heresy out there. And this one led a woman who was, as far as we know, really solid and took her down a path that was so, well, to deny the deity of Christ is pretty serious. And as soon as we started giving her scripture, she turned and left. Hmm. Well, that's... Better. But she's following some somebody she believes, I guess. It's very real. And if you know there's another pastor, there's a pastor we know um, well he isn't anymore, he walked away, who who was you couldn't ask for anybody visibly more staunch than he was, so uh, mission trips to Africa very very influential, not not influential, but well stabilized church. And one day, he just announced to his wife that he had a divorcer, walked away, and started playing a rock band in bars. Just, you know, things like this, it's just unbelievable what, what's going on. It's a wicked world we're in, and good scary. people are falling. Scary. Yeah, that is scary. Well, you know, the, the Christian life does not uh, exempt you from temptation. Um should be obvious, but um, just from reading scripture, but it doesn't exempt you from temptation. Um, and it's it's sad how many are falling, but the Bible does also say that there will be a great falling away in the last in the last days. So let's go to uh, Nancy. I uh, had a question. Nancy, are you there? No, we can't hear you, Nancy. Sorry, I'm not sure why. You're unmuted, but there's something might be wrong with your microphone. Probably have to reboot your computer. Try that. Uh, Let's move on to Russ. Yeah, Brother Rob, I think uh, Dr. Barna's uh, information here and data reflects the accuracy of end-time prophecy and just what you had just said is what I was thinking also. Thank you. Thank you. And Deanne and Rich. Yeah, um, just looking at this chart, it doesn't surprise me. Basic beliefs of pastors. How can we expect pastors to have beliefs in the Bible when I know of at least two churches here in the Valley? One has a pastor on staff. Oh, he's a guy who calls himself a pastor who's on the sex offender list. 
And the other one has um, someone leading a group at the church who is on the sex offender list. So I guess this, this chart doesn't surprise me considering those facts. Well, you know, pastors are not um, perfect people, um, but they they should be um, on the road to sanctification if, you know, if they're actually saved and have the Holy Spirit. Um, if If they're not, they've got to have tremendous internal turmoil from the Holy Spirit speaking to them as they're continuing on with whatever they're doing. That's, that's my comment. Dr. Barnum. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the challenges for me constantly is, is to look at these data and realize these are people that God loves and they're not perfect. None of us have been called to be perfect because we can't be, we are sinners. I think that's one of the the challenges here is to recognize that even with those individuals who take the opposite positions, extreme positions in opposition to the ones that we take, somehow I have to figure out how to love these people. That's what Jesus would have done. And that's what I think made his ministry and the model that he gave us so special was his ability to do that. So, yeah, it's, it's discouraging to see a lot of this. But the other thing I always come back to is that, but when God turned around a culture, every time you look in scripture and you read the stories of God changing a nation, changing a land, changing a tribe, changing anything, he always used a remnant to do it. Mm -hmm. So maybe, maybe he would give me the privilege of being part of that remnant. And so you know, and and you too. And so our task is to love those people into God's presence, as difficult as it may be. But, uh, you know, what a great challenge. What a great way to spend our lives. Um, as I've said before, you know, in these uh, difficult times, end times, challenging times, um, what opportunities are, are out there? The, mm-hmm. you know, the, the harvest is, is ready. Uh, but the laborers are few. Nancy, do you want to try again? Um, uh, can you hear me now? Yeah, here you go. I'll put my earbuds in. Uh, yep. uh, I have been getting uh, mail from Christian organizations for years. And, and what it sounds like from their perspective is that if people do not know anything about creation, as soon as these kids graduate from high school, they go to college, they start hearing about evolution, and they completely walk away from their faith. Do your... Uh, surveys talk about the creation issue uh, because from what I've been hearing for many, many years, it it is one of the key issues. And when I read the creation magazines, they're saying, oh, I've been in evolution for years. And then I finally heard about your stuff about creation and everything makes sense. Now I'm back in the Bible. Yeah, actually, Nancy, we've done, uh, well, come to think of it recently, I did a study where we looked at college students. Mm -hmm. And we did look at the whole issue of what they believe about the origins of of the world. And so most of them do not believe in the creation account. They're aware of it. They don't buy it. And, of course, part of the difficulty that we've got is if they go on to college, and more and more kids have been going on to college over the last couple of decades, when they get there, you're kind of ridiculed in most colleges and universities if you believe in the creation account. Uh, you know, whether you take an intelligent design approach or some mm-hmm. other, uh, you know, creation-based approach. So, yeah, it's difficult for young people today. And then, of course, they become parents and they pass on their perspectives to their children. And those children go to public schools where, again, that same kind of evolutionary perspective is taught. So it's, uh, yeah, it's it's a real conundrum. Um, you know, I... I uh, teach and do research at Arizona Christian University, where, of course, we believe in everything the Bible teaches. But, I mean, we're even shocked sometimes where we're taking in Christian students. We're a covenant school, which means that when you come in, you sign a covenant. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Bible. You know, there's all these things that we say, yes, that's that's what I'm all about. And even with many of those young people, we see the distortion in the profile of their beliefs where they've grown up in, quote, unquote, good Christian homes. They've gone to, quote, unquote, uh, you know, classical Christian schools 
or evangelical Christian schools or wherever. And they still come in with all kinds of nonsense. And I think a lot of it goes back to what somebody was talking about before about the influence of things like the media, you know, television and movies and music and Mm -hmm. social media, all of those things. The studies that I've done on what influences people, young people in particular, to think what they think, believe what they believe, do what they do, uh, desire what they desire. But more than anything else, it is that media information that they're exposed to. So the more that we can get Christians in that space to change the narratives that people are hearing in movies, in television, in music, and so forth, uh, the better off I think we're going to be. Or just turn it off because there's nothing. <laughs> Amen. Turn, turn it off. Unless you're going to watch like house hunters or horrors or something. <laughs> But um, no, that was a good that was a good point, Nancy. And and really, uh, the devil only has a few handfuls of tricks, and and one of that he uses quite often is making you doubt. Um, did God really say? And if, mm-hmm. if the first thing he does is mess you up in Genesis, you're gonna have a hard time with Revelation. So, you know, Rob, that's a great point you raise, though, because when I look at the numbers among pastors. And I ask myself, how in the world did they get there? I think a lot of it comes back to that issue of doubt. It's like, well, the world keeps telling me this, mm-hmm. and my friends keep telling me that, and I see it in all the media. God couldn't possibly have meant what I'm reading here in his word. And so it comes back to, do you really trust him or not? And uh, that, I think, is where we're losing some of the battle with a lot of these pastors. Well, some of these people that I think, you know, they say, well, how could God create the whole universe in six days? I mean, I can't believe that he could do that in six days. And I can't help but think that if he was a creator, I mean, it'd just be a snap of the fingers to create um, a baby out of, with a virgin brother. Um, I mean, everything that God does is with a snap of the fingers, you know, the breath of his mouth. He can do anything and everything. But the thing, they don't even have a concept of God. Um, which I, I think is because they're living the culture. Uh, we're, we're all stuck in the culture because the culture is all over the place. Well, and Nancy, yeah. one of the things that we find in our research, we ask people about who they define God as being. What do they believe are his characteristics? Mm-hmm. And we are now, as long as I've been doing this research, last 40-some years, this is the first time in America's history where a minority of American adults believe that God is the all-knowing, all-powerful, just and creator of the universe who still rules it today. We're down to 47% of Americans who believe that. And so, I mean, that's a massive shift from when I started doing this back in the mid-70s, uh, you know, that, that mid-late 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we were up in the 75, 80, 85% range back then. We have our work cut out for us, don't we? Mm-hmm. We do. So we're down to about uh, a minute and a half here. Um, I wanted to put a plug in for JR and his organization, uh, the Natural Family Foundation, which you can find at naturalfamilystrong.com. There you go. Type that in. And there you will find JR's plan. And um, you can find Dr. Barna's information at georgebarna.com. If we want to, or uh, we'll cultural research from that. there you go. Is yeah, culturalresearchcenter.com cultural is a good place to go. Okay, sounds good. Yep. So, uh, Dr. Barn, I'm going to give you the last minute here. Wrap things up for us. You know, one of the things that comes out of this value study, which gives me hope after doing that pastor study, is that we probably have a lot more in common than we've been led to believe. And if we can build on our commonalities rather than divide based on our differences, that's always what what has made America great. And I'm hopeful that as people begin to understand that the media narrative about Americans is wrong, that God made us with things in common, that we still have a lot of values in common with the values that colonial Americans had, the things that made this country great, the foundations on which they built this country, 
many of those are part of our DNA as Americans. It hasn't gone away. So there is hope. We just have to focus on the right things. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir. Thanks for being here. Um, Next week, we will be back with um, our guests will be uh, Coach Dave and Mark Sutherland will be coming in from the UK. So we'll be talking about what's going on uh, in Great Britain and uh, over there. So we will see you next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Central on WCNTV.net. God bless. Thank you.